and be out there telling people about Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, we pray for our missionaries. Lord, don't forget them, dear God. May we lift them up in prayer. We lift them up in prayer this morning. Lord, bless them. Encourage them. Give them strength. Where they're weak physically, give them health. Where they're weak psychologically, give them encouragement. Where they're weak spiritually, give them your Holy Spirit. Father, may they know they're not alone out there. May they not be alone out there. Father, put it on our hearts. Put it on our hearts to pray for them and to care for them and to love them. Father, we pray for our sick. We pray for Mr. Rathburn and Mark Zare and Mrs. Simpson. Lord, let them know that you have not abandoned them. Father, let them know that you are with them. You are their God right now just as much as you were their guide yesterday and 10 years ago and 50 years ago and 50 years from now and forever. Lord, we ask you to be with others who are sick in this congregation and in this community. Father, may you be praised in sickness and in accidents. Father, may people turn to you. May everything be used for your glory and even in your mercy for our salvation. Dear Lord, we, we know what this time of the year is in the nation in terms of what happened 12 years ago in, our, in the wisdom of man when we said murder is okay for little babies. Lord, we repent. We're sorry. We ask your forgiveness. Lord, it's something that we can't undo all those millions of lives. But we beg your forgiveness, dear God. And Father, we ask that somehow you get through. We ask, Father, that somehow you get through to the Christians so it's not something that is tolerated, that abortion is not tolerated, but that we speak out and we pray and we don't forget the unborn. And Father, through your Holy Spirit, we beg you, please, change the minds of those who are our leaders and show them show them the truth and may the horror stop and Father lastly we humble our hearts before you today Lord we are not proud sometimes we come here and we're not just cold in body we're cold in spirit and Father we ask you to warm our spirits Father those who those of us who have come numb, who really aren't prepared, don't even want to hear what they need to hear. God, have mercy on us. Open up our hearts now. Open up our minds. We await your word. We await your message. And Father, we ask you to be with Calvin. Help him to deliver that which you've already revealed to him. And help him to deliver that which you are yet to reveal to him. Now prepare all our hearts and minds. And Father, thank you that we are yours. Thank you. And may we never forget that we couldn't have done it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Ed Germain. Uh, Ed used to be here at Montreat Anderson College. He is a converted bookie from up in New York. Today is Super Bowl day. I already asked him the odds. He won't tell me. And... Uh, <laughs> 
but it's a good day to be a converted bookie. <laughs> and uh, Ed has moved down to Columbia Bible College where he now works and where he is doing a seminary degree as well. And I think our folks would like to have a little update on you, Ed. And by the way, he has a, we're preaching about Amos this morning in the sermon, and he had a great sense of social justice. And Ed does too, and that's what was alluded to in his prayer because he with Vicki and their other Christian friends here as well have done, have gone to uh, demonstrate in the effort to save the lives of the unborn. And uh, I'm thankful for Ed's friendship and for his testimony to Christ. And Ed, we'd like to know what your plans are and what you've done. Thank you. Well, I never thought that I can look at you people and call you Yankees. But times change, you know. Uh, up here in North Carolina. I'll give you a quick update for you that don't know me. I'm, I'm from New York City. I'm Calvin's friend, my mother's friend. Calvin makes me come up every Super Bowl to take his bets, and I try to convert him. Um, we were here for a couple years, my wife and I, and it was two of the best years we had. And the Lord let us out. And um, Montreal got in our blood, and it was very, very difficult to leave. And it was through a number of people in the church, but I just want to say, if it wasn't for Jim Skidmore, for those of us who want me here, I wouldn't have gone. Uh, he really encouraged me to uh, follow God and not my fleshly desires. And um, Jim came to me a few weeks before I ever thought of going to Columbia Bible College to work there and said, I, I think, and some others think you should go to seminary. And I said, you're crazy. And he said, I'm not crazy. You think about it. Well, I didn't want to, but we thought about it and prayed about it. And within weeks, um, I had a job offer at a seminary and a Bible college. I couldn't believe it. I didn't have a job, by the way. And uh, we went, and there were some hard times. Um, our bodies were in Columbia, and our hearts were in Montreat. But God broke that, and has taught us a lot. And I've completed about a year now. I'm on the, uh, I guess in New York you call it the local, as opposed to the A train, I'm on the local, the double A. Uh, it'll take me about six or seven years, but I'm a little dumber than most of those shop kids there. And I, I don't take many courses at a time, and it takes me a long time to, uh, to understand what God's trying to do. But we are in great shape. We're in great spiritual shape. And that's, that's God. Uh, I didn't want to leave. My wife didn't want to leave. The first year was a tough year. We wanted to come back. God says, stay. God said, I have a purpose. And what God says, you, if you're smart, you do. And uh, God has given us blessings. I, it take too long. But I understand what I didn't understand before. I understand that God is God. I understand that I am Ed Germain, and there's a big difference. And he knows what to do a lot more than I do. And lastly, I want to say, if I may my last opportunity to say it, Calvin Thielman has been a great inspiration to me. And I'll tell you why. Because he is such a crazy man. Uh, I've never seen somebody take such a crazy... He's, he has a crazy personality, if you know what I mean. But he uses it for God. I mean, you know, you know Calvin, but he uses it for God. And I said, if God can use Calvin Thielman... <laughs> And that's what it's about. Thank you. Never <laughs> be misled by that uh, uh, designation of a minor prophet. Uh, because uh, if anyone, I was thinking this morning, 
that in the Washington Cathedral in Washington, D.C. today, there has been conducted a service of worship at the request of the President of the United States for all the members of the diplomatic corps, uh, for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, for the members of the House, and the members of the Senate, the members of the Supreme Court, um, for many other powerful and distinguished people that have come there who represent great segments of leadership, as well as some seats in the cathedral which are open to the public. And when you think of an auspicious occasion like that, and then if you stop and think about Amos, this uh, country backwoods preacher who came with a very powerful and dramatic message at the King's Chapel, you can get something of the idea of what is meant in those words that we sung a while ago, Turn back, O man, forswear thy foolish ways. The message of Amos is very much like the message you see if you start into a, um, a, a freeway the wrong direction. I saw a sign that said, Turn back, wrong way. And that's right. And that's what the message of Amos is very much about. And before I read the scripture, and I had this printed, and it's in the King James, and a little difficult, and then I'll go to the American Standard Version with my Bible here. But listen to these words. A great preacher has written, I wish that I could read the Bible in the original. That is a laudable wish. And it is indeed the only way in which any man can read his Bible to understand it. There is only one original language in which the Old and the New Testaments were written, and it's the language of human experience. Hebrew is useful, Greek is still more useful, but life is essential. The deep original language of the human spirit in its aspirations and in its self-consciousness, the language of hope and love and sorrow and need, endeavor and patience and victory. This is the original language of the Bible. And now then take your bulletin and if you can uh, uh, follow with me, uh, look at Amos chapter 7, 1 through 17. This is a great scene that occurs in Bethel, which was the capital city in the king's royal chapel. A vision comes to Amos and uh, I think you can catch it even in the King James. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. And the Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. And it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. 
Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord God stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughter shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be delivered by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall go into captivity forth of his land. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Let us all pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, we ask you to add your blessing to these gifts which we have brought and superintend their use to the end that they may bring glory to your name. And now we pray that you will enlighten our minds with a better understanding of your word, and then by the Holy Spirit inspire our wills to obey your word and to do the things that will honor and please you. We need you, our Father. Our President and our country need you. And we pray for all of those people assembled in Washington and ask that in the events of today, and the events that transpire tomorrow, that you will seek to convert people to a realization of what this nation ought to be under God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I thought about Amos and I thought about what was going on in Washington today, I wrote out just some random thoughts which I thought might be helpful. I think as a nation we have sinned and grown old. We have passed our 200th birthday, and in it there is a certain cynicism uh, toward righteousness which has crept into much of our press and media and has gotten into the country. We've missed the mark in trying to spend money to make up for what human goodness and kindness should do. 
John Quincy Adams, one of the founding fathers of our country, has said that our government is unworkable without a practicing faith in God. It presupposes that because the form of government that we have is derived from the Ten Commandments and from what came from the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and then through the Magna Carta and then into the Declaration of Independence. If we don't have this practicing faith in God, we will whimp our way into disaster. We will pass laws that have no power because the people do not have enough goodness inside them to make them work. God has a standard for us. That's what we'll be thinking about this morning in the plumb line. His plumb line is his law. And a great part of that law is in the Ten Commandments. And if you destroy those first four commandments which deal with our worship and relationship to him, the fifth commandment which has to do with human authority and our relationship with parents, the sixth commandment with loving kindness which has to do with thou shalt not kill, and then with the home and thou shalt not commit adultery, and then with other people's property and other people's reputation, and then with the sanctity of truth, and then with inordinate desire, if we take those things out, then we make our country grow weak and we cause nothing but trouble. If we take out the glue which holds us together as a country because of faith, the first robust force that comes along will move into that vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum, and nations can't live in a vacuum. Something has to hold it together. And if we take out God and allow the secular fanaticism which seems to be creeping into so much today to take over, it can control. No nation awards all individuals all freedom at all the time. Absolute freedom is just absolute nonsense. Uh, each of us has to realize that with freedom there come responsibilities and this is what I think our message from Amos is going to be saying today and which is very applicable to what we're seeing. Now we go back to 750 years before the birth of Christ to the prophecy of this backwoods prophet. It's incredible to me that Biblical scholars speak of him as the first of the writing prophets, and this may very well be true. But the irony of it to me is that a man who comes from following after sheep uh, as a shepherd, and uh, who is a herdsman, and who is a gatherer of sycamore fruit, that's not to be confused with what we call a sycamore in this country, but a type of summer fig that was grown. It was the food of the poor people. And yet this rustic person has the distinction of putting down this remarkable prophecy which in the providence of God we're still reading uh, 2,500, 2,700 years later. We still read these remarkable words. Now if you'll take your bulletin I'll try to explain this scene that occurs um, in Bethel because I won't have time to give you I encourage you to read the entire book of Amos because you will find in it uh, many great sayings that will be uh, help to you 
Thus saith the Lord, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. The king apparently got a sort of income tax that came from taking a certain amount of his mowings. And this is a vision that comes to Amos. And Amos, who would have been raised in the wilderness and who would have known about things like this, observes it all. And God gives him this vision. And he prays to God. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of the eating of the grass, he's talking about the grasshoppers that come or the locusts, the plague. Then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. He wants to ask a question of God. By whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small? And when I was reading this yesterday morning at the breakfast table, our son and his wife and two little grandchildren are here, and the little boy Samuel is three years old, and his little brother's name is Jacob, and he's just three months old. And uh, when I read this, By whom shall Jacob arise, for he is so small, <laughs> his, his eyes perked up a little bit. By whom shall Jacob stand, for he is so small? Well, by Jacob here is not men an individual, but the nation. And that's what he's speaking about. And if God lets this terrible devastation of locusts come and plague this land and destroy everything so that a mighty famine comes, how shall this nation arise? And Amos's heart goes out in prayer for it, for he is so small, already it's weak. How shall it stand? Then the Lord repented for this. The Lord uh, changes his mind, not in the sense that we do, but changes his mind toward the people here. It shall not be, saith the Lord. And then comes in verse 4, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire. The first plague comes by famine or locust. The second comes by fire. Whether by fire it's meant drought, or whether by fire it's meant an earthquake, or whether by fire it's meant some terrible onslaught of fire, uh, it devours the great deep and it did, and did eat up a part. And here again he pleads for his land. Then said I, O Lord God, cease. I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small? By whom shall Jacob stand, for he is small? How can he go through all of this? Then the Lord repented for this. This also, now that this also shows a warmth in the Lord's love. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. In other words, God brings a judgment that comes upon the people first by locusts and second by a tremendous fire, earthquake, or drought. And then God shows how he will ultimately deliver a part of his people, and that's where the prophet whips out his plumb line. Now I'm going to say something that will be worth coming to church, believe it or not. When you go out, I want you to remember it. When you go over here and look outside, you'll see these walls that are coming up, the cinder blocks that are a part of the new student center building. Look at the wall just a little bit. Just think about it. The prophet 
sees God as giving to him a plumb line. And a, a plumb line, by the way, is a, has a piece of string with a little lead weight at the bottom of it. And you drop it to see if the line is in plumb, if it's straight up and straight down. The prophet with a plumb line drops the plumb line to see if the wall is warped or crooked. You got two choices. If the wall is out of plumb, if it is crooked, you can tear down the wall and straighten it up, or you can kill the prophet. Do you ever think of that? And that's what happens usually. It's a little easier to kill the prophet than it is to straighten up the, the wall. And that's what most people react to it. Now think about that. that. You think about a prophet whom they killed. Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And when he came and dropped his plumb line and told the Pharisees of their eras, although they were a deeply religious people, they resented it. They even made friends with the Sadducees, people that they didn't agree with at all. The Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural like the Pharisees did. The Sadducees simply wanted to make money out of their ecclesiastical offices and to maintain a balance of power with the Roman government. But when Jesus came and dropped the plumb line against both camps, they agreed to put him to death, to kill the prophet with the plumb line, rather than to straighten up the wall and to make it what it should be. The plumb line. In Amos's day, he speaks about these people in their luxurious living. The people he describes in other chapters in Amos and in his nine chapters, he goes through the way in which these people live. He says that the society was so rich and so affluent that they stretched out on ivory couches. They had summer homes. They had winter homes. They drank wine from bowls. They slept on silken cushions. And then he says, at one point that the women were degraded. He calls them cows of Bashan. Boy, he was really a country preacher. He calls them cows of Bashan because they were saying to their husbands, go and tax the people more or go or require more from the people in order that I can have more and more luxuries. But luxury sometimes softens and rottens the fabric that's there. And so, Amos drops his plumb line, and he cries out against that. And then he says about the merchants, that they do not give full measure, that they cheat in what they do. And you know that goes on in many of the ghettos today. I can understand why Jesse Jackson and why some of the people who speak for black people can cry out about ghettos in large cities where people are overcharged. Sometimes those little black children who go down to the grocery store in the ghetto and buy a half gallon of milk and two loaves of bread 
can't even add numbers. And sometimes the ghetto grocers charge them far more than they should. And it's no wonder that from this you see violence often erupt. And so those things have to be cried out against. I saw a thing not long ago in the Reader's Digest that gave the account of a consumer uh, organization that took a brand new automobile off the assembly line in Detroit and had master mechanics fix it every way it could be fixed so that it was mechanically as perfect as they could get it. And they drove it all the way from Detroit to California. They stopped and had a list, a scientifically prepared list of things that they would go into a repair place and ask about being fixed. When they got out there, they had spent thousands of dollars in needless repairs because uh, people were taking advantage of people who didn't know anything about what was going on with the cars. Weights and measures, uh, services rendered, uh, the Medicare frauds that exist today, all of these things exist in a very affluent society. And if Amos dropped his plain plumb line here, he would see that we're not in line with either the first four of the Ten Commandments or the other six of the Ten Commandments. And this spells disaster uh, for our country. And then, of course, as has been alluded to in the prayer this morning, the anniversary of that horrendous decision of the Supreme Court, which really has opened the way to the wanton slaughter of millions of unborn infants. The church has always taken the position until this thing has occurred of protecting the weakest of human life. I talk to people who want to commit suicide all the time, and you talk to them about how precious life is. And then you speak to people who have a little baby growing inside them. And you want them to understand the gift of God and life. And then I have other people coming to me wanting to adopt a baby who would give it a wonderful home if they could only get a baby. And how churches ought to work in helping these organizations to do what we can. And so when the plumb line comes, we have a responsibility. Amos spoke of the people of his day as selling the needy for a pair of shoes that they would go in debt and then they would be sold into slavery because they couldn't even pay for a pair of shoes. And all of this comes back to false worship. And he cries out against their false worship. God says that he doesn't like their music. I don't like some of it either. Uh, that he speaks out against uh, other things that occur. Uh, and even in a prosperous society today, uh, there is a new emphasis upon religion. You see it all every time you turn the TV set on. And so you can see that with the spreading of religion, and the talk about Christianity. There is not a corresponding sense of righteousness being exercised by the people who profess this. And this is why Amos brings the plumb line out and drops it. He wants things to be brought into conformity with God's will. 
He speaks about the high places of Isaac shall be desolate because the sanctuaries have not done what they should have done, and Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now remember this is occurring um, in Jeroboam's own chapel. It would be very much as if someone showed up at the Washington Cathedral today and marched in there and preached away against the administration and against everything that was wrong in this country and the presence of everyone there. They'd cut the sound system off, turn the TV cameras off. You wouldn't want to hear that. But this is what Amos did. And then Amaziah, who represents established religion, he was in the union of the preachers. He had it all from the denominational headquarters. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, uh, Amos hath conspired against thee. He wanted to get Amos killed. In the midst of the house of Israel, the land is not able to bear his words. For thus saith Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. And then Amaziah, he's the official chaplain to the king. Also Amaziah, Amaziah said unto Amos, now here you've got the official, approved, safe, kept preacher, saying to this prophet of God, Amos, O thou seer, you dreamer, you're one of those people who really believe in God and you won't temporize with the spirit of the day. Thou seer, he says to him, and this is sarcasm that doesn't come through in the King James. Go and flee thee away into the land of Judah. Why don't you go preach in Canada? Get out of the National Cathedral. And there eat bread. This means that he uh, is putting him down as though he were some sort of hired gun. Uh, uh, a preacher who was preaching for money. And Amos could not really uh, qualify for that at all. And prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. It's interesting, it's called the king's chapel, and not God's chapel. In the king's court. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was not a prophet. No, I, don't, I didn't go to your seminary. I'm not approved by the official headquarters. And neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go and prophesy unto my people Israel. And so then he prophesies the inevitable judgment that is to come. Now what is the word that we need to remember in closing from this? Men displease God by hollow and insincere worship. Nations and individuals that have been favored are laden with a corresponding responsibility. God is gracious and he is patient when he warns us. Social injustice is intolerable to God. Social justice ought to be a part of the reflection of our commitment to God. Sin must be punished, and men must suffer. Ease and luxury and idleness lead to open sin. 
Possessing power over others creates grave danger. In any emergency, God can raise up an effective prophet to do his will. The discipline of the desert had been valuable to Amos. And what a great service the wilderness did to him. It made him see clearly. I grew up out in Texas. And out in West Texas and New Mexico, I used to sometimes talk with Indians. Out on that plains country which other people drive across and they say, how can you stand it? It looks like the ocean because you can, as one man put it, you can see for four days. You can see for a long, long way. If you ever talk to one of those Indians or one of those old cowboys, his eyes are so trained that he can pick up the slightest movement on the horizon. When you go out there, you won't be able to see what he can see. But he can see for a long way off. And this man who had spent some solitude and reflection with God could see more than those people who were caught up in all of the razzle-dazzle of the king's court. They could see to the true issues of, of righteousness in life. God warns, and his warning is itself a mercy. He warns us because he wants us to repent. That was the message of that hymn a while ago. Turn back, O man, forswear thy foolish ways. Now then, in conclusion, our solemn assemblies may still be despised by God. Whenever mere ritual and form are allowed to take the place of a heart communion with God and moral obedience to him, our worship will be lightly esteemed by him. I have often thought that the more religion that goes into people's vestments, the less usually goes into people's hearts. When that revolution occurred in Russia, they were the, the Russian Orthodox Church back in Lenin's day was debating in its solemn assemblies what color their ecclesiastical petticoats should be for various festivals. And all the while a revolution was going on outside. And so God brings us back to reality. Back to see that the difference between right and wrong comes from God. He drops the plumb line. And we are to bring our lives into conformity with his will. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithful servant, Amos, and pray that you will bless people like him, people like John the Baptist, people like Jesus, people like Paul, and people like Savonarola, people like John Calvin and Martin Luther, and the great saints who have stood down through the ages faithful to you. Help us to know that all that really matters in life is that we get your point of view, and live and work from it. Then we can be a blessing to those who are around about us. And Father, for those of us who have sinned and gone astray from your will, help us to know that we can make it right. We can take those things down by your power and rebuild the wall straight. And we pray that you will give us the grace to do that. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our keeper and guide be and abide with us all now and forevermore.